We're continuing our series, Did God Really Say? And we're on week three. And if you missed the earlier two weeks, you can go uh, online and you can catch uh, weeks one and two. And the whole premise of this series is uh, the lies that we believe that we often live by. Things that we think God said, uh, but he actually didn't say. In Genesis' story, at the beginning of creation, the devil came as a serpent to tempt Adam and Eve. And he came uh, with this. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really say? And at, the name Adam uh, comes from, uh, in Hebrew it's called Adam. Uh, that, that's, where, what, that's what the word is, and it means humanity. And not only is this a story about Adam and Eve, but I believe it's a story about every single one of us. It's a, it's a story about humanity. It's, it's a story about us. And that the devil comes, the serpent comes, uh, God's opposition comes, and he comes to us and he questions, did God really say? And his whole point is to create doubt in our minds of what God did say. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat from the one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The enemy comes and he twists it and he said, did God really say that you must not eat from any of the trees? And so it sounds like something God did say. Right? It sounds very similar to what, exactly what God told Adam and Eve, but it, it is slightly different. And, and the trajectory obviously set them uh, away from God's plan for their lives. And so often the, the devil comes and tempts us. He, he comes and twists the truth, and it sounds like something God would say. But we follow that trajectory long enough, and we realize uh, that we were living out of alignment with God's will for our lives. And it happens very easily. Half-truths. And it's... You can be really certain, you can be really certain of what you think God said, but it's quite easy to believe a lie, to doubt to creep in. You know, I'm, I'm quite certain, and I have, a, I have an alert that comes on my phone every garbage day. Does anybody have this on, the, on their phones? And I, and I can be really, really certain when it's garbage day. I'm going to invite Pastor Chris, my neighbor who's down the street, and I'm, su I'm super certain that it's garbage day today. But my neighbor comes, and he rolls out his bin. Sure. Yeah, bring it on up. He brings out the bin. And you know what happens? There's someone else on my street that's not so certain that it's garbage day. You guys have seen this happen, right? And they see neighbor Chris bring out the bin, and they think... I thought garbage day was tomorrow. But Chris thinks it's today. Ah, you know, I'll, just to make sure, I'm going to bring out my garbage bin and just in case it's today. And so, so they roll out the bin. And now you've got two bins out on the street. And this whole epidemic happens. Have you guys seen it happen? All of a sudden, the whole street is full of people. I, I mean, I, I came... Last week I was driving home and I, I swear that almost 90%, I would say 90% of the houses rolled out their garbage bins. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's tomorrow. And I was right. But as soon as you see two and three and four, and now, now the whole block thinks it's garbage day and it's not. This is what happens. You can be super certain of what you think God said. You can be super certain of something. And it takes one person 
to come and create a little bit of doubt, and then enough people start believing it and saying it that all of a sudden your certainty is actually uncertain. All of a sudden you think it's garbage day, and it's not. And this is the way that it works. And so here's the one we're looking at today. This is, I think this one's the equivalent of, you know, the street being lined up with garbage cans on the wrong day. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you don't hurt anybody, it doesn't matter what you do. Now, so many people have rolled this one out that we've convinced ourselves that this is something that God actually did say. And again, like all the things we've been looking at, it's, it's a, it's a half-truth. It's a, it's a twist. It, it is similar to something that we see throughout Scripture. And so let's talk about the truth for a second. The truth is this, that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So here's the truth, that God did not rescue you, he did not save you, he did not redeem you, he did not come to help you because of anything that you did. It was the sheer love and grace and mercy of God that came to us while we were sinners to save us and redeem us, not because of anything you did. That, that is the truth. That's the truth. But how do we get to this lie? It doesn't matter what you do. Well, well, we've taken that truth. We've taken that truth of the grace that we can't work our way into relationship with God. And now we've twisted it to say it doesn't actually matter what you do because of God's grace. So we can live however we want. And that's, that's where the enemy comes and twists it uh, because it very much does matter what you do. If we were to think back to uh, biblical times, if we were to think about their cultural values, I would say the, the cultural value that kind of ruled the day was probably justice, and we t- retributive justice. We talked about this last week. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, a punch for a punch. This was the whole idea. If you're bad, bad things should happen to you. If you're good, good things should happen to you. This is kind of the, the value that was operating in the biblical world. We were to think about the values that we have today, the, the reigning value in our culture, I would say it's tolerance. I think we can make a pretty good case that the reigning value in our culture today is tolerance. And the initial idea of tolerance is, uh, is this, that every single person matters. All people have equal value. Amen. That is something that we firmly believe, and we believe that That every single person was created in the image of God and God is calling people back to himself. But today, this this idea of tolerance has actually grown and it it means all ideas and behavior have equal value. All ideas and behavior have equal value. And so even the definition of tolerance has changed. It is wrong and unacceptable in our culture to say that a certain behavior is wrong or is sinful. We have watered down terms and even given them acceptable phrases. You know, something like pornography, we call it adult entertainment. Somebody committed adultery, we say they had an affair. 
premarital sex, we say it's fooling around. Those are, those are some examples of sexual sin, how, how we've taken something that is, is wrong and we've given it a tolerable title. To say something is unacceptable in our culture is unacceptable. Do you guys agree with that? To say something that's unacceptable in our culture is unacceptable. So we need to recognize this morning that sin is real, that sin has a dramatic earthly consequence and potentially eternal damning consequences. This is the reality of what we see in Scripture. So the truth, Ephesians 2, that you can't work your way into a a relationship with God. It's just, it's it's not going to work. Jesus didn't start to come to start a new religion. He didn't come to start something that we have to work at in order to be right with God. He, he came to bring himself in relationship. That is the truth. But it does matter what you do. So let's look at three cultural misbeliefs about sin. First cultural misbelief. I'm not a bad person. This is simply not true. I know many of you. I can testify that this is not true. I know myself. In 1 John 1 verse 8, it says this, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If you claim you're without sin, the Bible says you're a liar. And sin means missing the mark. And it comes from this archery term where you hit the bullseye, right? And, and I, I, th- I could confidently say that no one in this room has hit the bullseye in every decision and every opportunity in their life. Would you guys agree with that? The problem is that we compare ourselves to other people and we think in comparison to somebody else, I'm not as bad as them. So I'm a good person. I mean, look next to you. Go ahead, look next to you. You could probably convince yourself that you're probably better than the person next to you, hey? Just just eye them up. It's like, come on, they're not that good. I am better than them. So the human nature always, we we always look to somebody who who we can compare ourselves to and figure out what kind of standing we have. And we find people in this world that we think are really bad. And we look at them and we say, you know, I'm not that bad. But the Bible says that we are that bad. How many of you have ever told a lie? Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look beside you. If someone's hand is not in the air, tell them they're a liar. (laughs) How many of you have ever stolen something? Okay, we've got a few. I'm going to invite some some bravery here on the next one. How How many of you have ever looked lustfully... Or impurely at another human being. Okay, I know your spouse is sitting beside you potentially. That's a, that's a dangerous one. So if that is true, you are a lying, thieving adulterer. I'm so glad you came to church today on Thanksgiving. Make you feel great about yourself. So here we go, Romans 3, no one is righteous, not even one. So righteous living means living rightly, hitting that, hitting that bullseye. And, and what Paul is saying here in Romans that not a single one of us has actually lived rightly. 
And this is true. And, it, and this morning I'm preaching to myself, you, you know, don't put me on a pedestal just because I'm on the stage. For those of you who know me, you know, I was saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, that I know you. Uh, but if you know me, you know that I'm a sinner. That I do things in a not right way some of the time. And we talked about this a few, few weeks back. You, you and I have been messed up by sin, we have, but we have intrinsic value. We've been created in the image of God. And so I need to be very, very careful when I'm talking about this, not to pendulum swing, because the pendulum has swung on this throughout church history. And often, uh, people get in ditches on one side or the other. On, on one side, people think, I am intrinsically terrible and wrong, and God is disgusted by me. That's just not true. You know, we talked about Martin Luther's phrase a few weeks back that we are snow-covered dung. But that's not true. The Bible teaches that you're created in the image of God, that you have intrinsic value, and you are dung-covered snow. That, that's the truth. Right, that, that we have made choices that have brought kind of sin and crap and garbage into our lives, and that has affected us. And so we, we have to hold these, these two intentions, that we, we are sinful people because of the choices that we have made, but yet we have intrinsic value. Here's misconception number two. All sin is the same. The, cultural, the second cultural misbelief here. God never said that. We need to understand that the Bible doesn't say that. This is another half-truth. All unforgiven sin does lead to eternal death. But let's be clear, but not all sin is the same. All sin has the same effects. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Many of you have heard this verse before, yes? We, we often think of this verse as the consequence of sin is death, and, and that is true. But what this verse is talking about, the entirety of Romans chapter 6 is talking about the relationship between a master and a slave. I remember the first time getting paid for work. I was, I think I was about six years old. And I wanted an electronic device. Uh, so before there was video game systems, before there was apps, before there was iPods, this is going to blow the brain of some of you young people. Uh, we had handheld little electronic games like this. Does anybody remember these? Yeah, I wanted one so badly. And I said to my mom, I was like, I really want, I really want one of these. My mom said, how much is it? I said, $7. She said, I will pay you $1 an hour to work in the garden. And when you save it for $7, I will buy this game for you. And so I pulled weeds for seven hours one Saturday. Seven hours. And I was able to get one of these, the $7 game. And guess what? When you, when you, fin when, when you get bored of the game, you can't just download another one. It doesn't work that way. You, you, you just keep playing it or you go play outside. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> mind blown. But I had to work to receive pay so I could get this game. And Romans chapter 6 is talking about what you receive, the pay that you receive for who you're working for. And it, it contrasts two masters. 
You have sin as a master, you have God as a master. And for those who work for sin, the wages they get paid is death. In fact, Paul contrasts being a slave to sin and being a slave to God. And he says that those who work for God, those who submit to God in their lives, the pay that they received is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So, sin pays the same wages. Regardless of what sin you might be in, the wages are the same. So that, that part is true. But not all sin has the same effects. Last week I was driving in Chaparral with my oldest son, Joel. And, uh, and there's cars parked on my side of the street on the right-hand side. There wasn't cars on the other side of the street. And this vehicle comes this way, and he's kind of in the middle of the road. And I'm, I'm kind of hugging. I'm, I'm like right between him and the car on my side of the street. And yet he honks at me and tells me to read between the lines. And I kind of look at him and I give him one of these. And then I look at my rear meal and I, I see these brake lights. <clears throat> see him pull a U-turn. And he speeds up and tailgates me. And so I was like, okay. I just kind of pull over to the side of the road and I roll down my window. I think he was a little bit surprised that I was wanting to have a conversation. He took a minute to roll down his window. And then he rolls down his window and he starts yelling at me. Um, and I proceed to tell him that, uh, you know, very calmly that he was uh, not in the right, uh, he was not in the right and that I was over as far as I could go and uh, he didn't want any of that. But it's not the first time I've experienced road, road rage in the city. It's not the first time that someone's shot me the finger. But shooting someone the finger and shooting somebody are very different realities, yes? I mean, if I was in Texas, I would not roll down my window for a conversation. I would just keep going. I, I, I don't want to see a gun pointed at me. So uh, the consequences of somebody's sin has devastating effects or different effects depending on what the sin is. Not all sin is the same. Sin has a variety of consequences. One has far more worse consequences than another. How we live influences consequences on earth. If you're a youth pastor, like Colton, and you commit the sin of gluttony, you can probably still be a youth pastor. <laughs> if you're a youth pastor and you smoke dope with the teenager, you probably still can't be a youth pastor. Right? You guys don't sound convinced on that. Uh, we, we have certain standards for Colton, and he's living by them very well, but... The, there's consequences for the decisions that we make. Many of us know this all too well. Many of you have made, have made decisions that have had devastating consequences on your life and on your relationships. We're all sinners. We all sin. But some of us have experienced consequences of sin that are far different than someone else. How we live impacts rewards in heaven. We don't talk about this very much, but the Bible does. That there's actually rewards in heaven. Did you know that? 
We don't have time this morning, but if, if, if you want to look 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, you'll, you'll see that, that some people kind of just get into heaven and other people get rewarded and they have treasures in heaven because of the lives that they live and the decisions that they make. And so there's actually eternal consequences, eternal rewards for the decisions that we make. Not all sin is the same. How we live influences the degrees of punishment. How we live influences how we're punished here on earth. How we live influences punishment and eternity. Eternity. Luke 20, 46 to 7 says this, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets, yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be most severely punished. So this implies that there might be a less severe punishment for some and a more severe punishment for others. John 19.11, Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Speaking of Judas. A greater sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Run from sexual sin, for no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Flee, run from sexual sin. Other sin, it says, fight, resist. But this one, you got to run from because it impacts your life in a completely different way. Because this one impacts you in a deeply personal and specific way. How we live and what we do matters on earth and it matters in eternity. Not all sins are the same. And here's the third cultural misperception. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. We could talk about this one for a long time. I mean, there's, there's lots of lies the enemy gives that wreaks havoc. I'm sure this must be in the top three of the devastations created in the lives of people. You know, for... For a teenager, a young adult, an adult, you're not a virgin anymore, so I might as well keep living this way because I did it already. You know, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, you know, I've, I've done it once. I've done it a couple times, so I'm already guilty of that sin, so I might as well keep doing it. I've already looked at something that I shouldn't have. I'm already impure. I'm already tainted. I, I, I just, I'll keep doing it. When we repeatedly choose to do something that we know is contrary to God's will in our lives, it has increasingly devastating effects. But doing something once is not the same thing as doing something 20 times or 100 times. And evidently a couple thousand years ago, that problem was as real as it is today. This is what it says, the beginning of Romans 6, before we get into the whole master-slave piece that we talked about. Paul says this, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Since Jesus died for us and, and we came to him and because of our faith in him, our sin nature no longer has power over us. We have power. Why would we go back and hurt the heart of God? Why would we go back and hurt ourselves? Why would we go back and hurt other people in our relationships? Why would we do that when we, God has given us a way out? Yes, God has grace for you, for every single one of us. But your choices have an impact. 
You know, as a pastor, I hear comments sometimes that, you know, I just want to go deeper. I just, you know, I just, I need deeper teaching. I, you know, I want to be fed. I want to be fed more on, you know, on a Sunday or we, we, we need to do a, a small group Bible study that really, really digs deep. And although I appreciate that and I, I too enjoy learning, I think that we are spiritually overweight. That we need to put our knowledge calories to some exercise. That spiritual maturity is not about how much we know, it's about how much we obey. It's about having more knowledge. It's not about having more knowledge, it's about having more fruit in your life. We in the Western world are more educated than any other Christian group in the history of the church. Did you know that? Statistically, if you look at the statistics and the life of those who claim to be followers of Jesus in the Western world, statistically, uh, our behavior, our sin patterns are the exact same as the rest of the world. We do not have a knowledge problem. We have an obedience problem. And I think that stems from this garbage can that we pulled out and we said, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. Saved by grace. The neighbor pulls out the garbage can. It doesn't matter what you do. And all of a sudden we have a, a whole block. We have a whole nation. We have a whole group of individuals that do not care any longer about how they live because they think it doesn't matter what they do. Most Christians are educated far beyond their level of obedience. We are educated far beyond our level of obedience. This is what I believe. Most of us don't need to know more. We need to apply what we already know. So the last thing I want to do is stand up here and act like I have it all together. I, I, I don't. And, and like I said before, if you know me, you know that I don't. Uh, and that's part of the point. If you are not aware of your sin, that's actually a sign of spiritual immaturity. The closer I get to Jesus, the more aware I become of the, my own sin in my life. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I find myself confessing, the more I find myself repenting, the more I find myself asking for forgiveness. Not so he will love me, he already loves me, but because I love him and I'm living my life in response to the love he has for me. And so can I challenge you that, that, that if, if you're in this place in your life where, it, where you're not actually aware of your sinfulness, you, you don't give it much thought, that you, you know, it's not that you beat yourself over it because God's not beating you up over it, he's just inviting you to give it to him, to ask for forgiveness. If you're in this place where, where you're not in that space of asking for forgiveness, of repenting, of, uh, can I encourage you to come a step closer to Jesus? Because I believe when we come close to him, the gap between when we sin and when we ask for forgiveness closes. In fact, we can think of maturity that way, that as we grow in maturity, the gap between our sinful behavior and are coming to Jesus for forgiveness actually shortens. And that distance, the closer I get to Jesus, the, the, the shorter that distance gets. And I, I believe that's when the Bible kind of talks about things that theologians for centuries have called sanctification being made in the likeness of Jesus. What that's talking about is we start to live in sync with God, that we, we sin and we can confess, and, the, and this gap becomes shorter and shorter and shorter, and all 
all of a sudden we're starting to confess, confess thoughts before we act. And all of a sudden as we start to do that, we're becoming more aware of our thoughts when they're coming into our mind and we can actually push them out. And then we're starting to live in a right way. Not that we're ever more perfect, but, but this, this gap is shortening and shortening and shortening. How, how far is that gap for you? Sin is progressive. Sin grows best in the dark. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. When you confess it, it breaks the power of sin. Bringing sin to the light makes it loosen its grip on you. You lie once and it's easier next time. You look once and it's easier next time. You know, some of you have convinced yourself into thinking, it doesn't matter what I do, it's, not, it's actually not that big of a deal. And I'm telling you, it is. What is it costing you right now? I say, for one, it's costing you intimacy with your Lord. Because when we continue to live in the same sinful patterns, the Bible talks about the hardening of our hearts. We, our hearts actually start to become hard. Our ability to hear God's Spirit speaking to us becomes less and less. I know it's also costing you in your personal life that it's harming you. It's har harming the way you think. It's harming you physically, emotionally, spiritually. I know it's harming your relationships when you, when you continue to persist in the same way. Sin is progressive. You don't, it doesn't just stay the same. It's going to bring you further and further. It's going to cost you more than you wanted to pay. It's going to bring you further than you wanted to go. And so the, the invitation is actually to close the gap between our behavior that's out of line with God, and when we come back to God and ask for forgiveness. So sin will mess you up. That's the bad news. But here's the good news, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Can I get an amen? Jesus is a friend of sinners. You know what that means? It means he's my friend. And, and we started with 1 Corinthians, uh, or 1 John. And I'm going to come back to it here. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But, everybody say but. Anytime scripture says but, just pay attention to it. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Wow, that's the good news. And so to actually understand the good news, to understand the truth of what God says here, we first have to recognize the bad news and that it does matter what you do. And it matters what I do. And Jesus said, I have come not for the healthy, but for the sick. And what he wasn't saying was that some of you are healthy and some of you are sick. What he was saying was every single human being is sick. Some of them recognize their sickness and are willing to have a doctor come and help them. Other people persist in their ignorance and think that they're not sick. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. When you sin, God is faithful. He is faithful to provide you a way out if you're tempted. He is faithful to forgive you and to clean you. You know, at SunWest, we allow most people in these doors. There's some people I don't want to allow in here, though, and that's perfect people. No, no perfect people allowed, okay? So if you're unperfect, you have a home here. Because we believe that we are all on the same journey. That we are all people that have done things that 
we are in need of forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. And we believe in a God that is so good, He sees intrinsic value in us, that He created us to be in relationship with us. He doesn't have to think or question or guess whether He's going to forgive us. The answer is already yes. We, we, we sang the song, All Your Promises Are Yes and Amen, this morning when we started the service. But what God is looking for is your decision because he's given you free will because he created you to to live in a loving relationship with him to choose that relationship. And if you've been in any relationship, you know that to choose that relationship means sometimes you have to lay down your pride and you have to confess and you have to ask for forgiveness to keep that relationship in the way that it was meant to be. Some of you for the first time this morning may want to say for the very first time and you've never had even a gap. just recognize this morning that, you know, I have sin in my life. You know, I don't want to live in the consequences of the reality of that sin. I don't want to sin to pay me the wages of death. I don't want to live separate from God or separate from his plan for my life. And maybe for the first time this morning, you want to say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you're able. Maybe some of you already have made that choice in your life to to become a son or daughter of God, to be adopted into the family of God. And this morning is just an invitation to recognize that maybe the culture kind of rolled this bin out on your block. And maybe you've doubted that what you did matters. And Jesus is calling you back to himself and saying, you know, what, what you do do matters. How you do live, how you live matters. Maybe there's some things that you need to make right with God this morning and to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. We're going to close with a song that we sang a little bit earlier. Uh, it's called, I forget what it's called, but it says, uh, <laughs> Holy and Anointed One. That's what it's called. Uh, which is which are very Christianese kind of words. Uh, but... Scripture calls Jesus the Messiah, and the word Messiah means anointed one. And throughout Scripture, the anointed ones were prophets, priests, and kings. And so what Scripture proclaims, what the song is proclaiming, is that Jesus is our king, that Jesus is Lord, that you were actually created to live with your knee bent towards him and to live in alignment with him. That Jesus is a prophet. He came to tell us about God, what God is like, and invite us to live differently. That Jesus is a priest. He's the perfect priest. This talks about in Hebrews. And that Jesus came to represent us to God. That Jesus came to make us right. To clean us up. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the all in all. He has everything you need to live in right relationship with God and others. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I invite you to close your eyes for a second. If, if you came this morning and you've never made that decision before, you know, we have our eyes closed in the room, and I just want to invite you to respond to this good news this morning, to say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. Jesus, I, I want you to forgive my sins. I want to live in a right relationship with you. I need forgiveness. If that's you this morning, I just invite you to put your hand in there. Maybe for some of you, thank you. That gap has been so big. And you just said, ah, the way I'm living doesn't really matter. 
It's not affecting anybody. It's not hurting anybody. And God's kind of whispered to you this morning and said, that's, that's actually not true. And there's things in your life that I, that, that I want to forgive you for. Would you actually come to me and ask for forgiveness? Would, would you give that to me? And you want to shorten that gap again. And you want to say, Jesus, I want to live in right relationship with you and with others. I just invite you to put up your hand. If that's you. pray Jesus I thank you that you are the Messiah that you are the holy and anointed one that you are the king the king above all kings that you are the prophet that perfectly represents God to us like it says in Hebrews 1 verse 3 you're the exact representation of God we thank you that you are the only priest we ever need, the one who makes us clean, that we can stand pure and right before God. Not because of what we've done, but because of your grace and your forgiveness is freely given to all those who want to receive. And so, Jesus, we just receive that this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, for those who have misheard what I've said this morning and they, and they think, I am a terrible, bad person, we just ask that you would speak truth to that. Lord, that they were created in the image of God, that they were created to be a son and daughter of God, that there's nothing that they have ever done or will ever do that can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you that that is the truth. Lord, we thank you that we respond to you, not because we've got to earn your love, but Lord, we respond to you in response to the love that you already demonstrated when you came and died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected three days later to show us that the wages of sin no longer has to be death. But you can have a new master, you can have a new father, and that gift is eternal life. And so we say yes to that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite uh, our prayer folks forward. If you would like prayer for anything, following the service, they would love to, to pray with you in response to anything that was said or something else that's going on in your life or uh, if there's, uh, if you want them to, yeah, pray with you about the highs and maybe it's Thanksgiving and there's great things happening in your life. Sometimes they've, they've said to me, it'd be great just to celebrate with people things that are going on in their life. They'd love to pray with you. If there's, uh, there's sickness or disease and you want someone to pray with you for healing, they'd love to pray with you. If you need to be encouraged, they'd love to pray encouragement into you. So please, uh, take advantage of that. If you were someone uh, that responded uh, just in prayer uh, to give your life to Jesus this morning, I would encourage you in your connection card that you received in the bulletin. It was just a place to respond there. Uh, and that allow me to personally follow up with you um, or one of our pastors to follow up with you during the week. Uh, and you can leave that at the Welcome Center. Uh, and lastly, just a reminder that next week is Starting Point. And if you want to find out more about SunWest, uh, and how to further engage and plug in here. Uh, we invite you to stay after the service uh, for a one-hour class. And there's, uh, it begins, there's four consecutive Sundays that we'll offer that. So let me pray to close. Father, again, we thank you that uh, you are a good God, that you love us so much that you're not willing to let us stay the same. And Jesus, your name is like honey on our lips. Your name is water to a thirsty soul. That you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. That you are king. 
Lord, on this Thanksgiving day, we just give you all glory and thanks for what you have done, that we can live in a new way, that we can live as sons and daughters of the King. What a glorious, marvelous thing. We thank you for that good news. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you guys next week.